You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're also joined by our friend Mason King to talk about the ascension of Jesus, or what JT calls the forgotten act of Christ. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Guys, I didn't sleep well last night. Really? Yeah. Why not? My baby girl, Bailey, she's usually a phenomenal sleeper, like great. And except for when I need her to be. And last night I needed her to be. We wrapped up the Dallas training program last night. Oh, we wrapped yeah, up the yeah, Flyerman one tonight. That is it's, huge. It's a lot of work. Gosh. How... So she wanted to stay up with me all night celebrating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what she was doing. She was like, what? Like dancing? And... Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yelling. Just... Four years of the Four training years. program. Can you yeah. believe that? That's Four crazy. We'll wrap for, up the fire mound tonight. For listeners who just, maybe this is your first podcast that you're tuning, in, tu- tuning into, or turning into, you're turning, turning into, you're turning turning into, into a, podcast. a podcast. Wow, we are off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if this Get is the coffee. first Knowing Faith that you're tuning into, the training program is a uh, year-long theological immersion program for the purpose of discipleship. Is that fair? Yeah, I think great. that's fair. Uh, JT... Uh, launched this training program four years ago. Which is, it's just crazy to me to think that it's already Golly. been that long. And so um, one, uh, our guest today, Mason King, is currently the director of the training program. Yep. Um, and uh, and then Jen and I have both had the privilege of teaching in the training program. Yeah, we just drop in when we feel like it. Yeah. Just, at, uh, at a forum we did a few weeks ago uh, like, that Lig Duncan was here for, we played a video, one of the first video yes. commercials of Baby the training JT. program. <laughs> and I didn't realize that. Everybody was thinking that. Yeah. We, so we showed this video of me kind of talking about the training program. And I had probably 15 people come up to me after the forum and said, wow, you look so young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that video. I was like, okay, I hear okay. you. I got you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, time to reshoot it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, uh, hey, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Four years is a big deal. Yeah. That's huge, man. More to come. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, today we're talking about the ascension of Jesus, and we're delighted to have Mason King with us. Glad to be here. Yeah, best best podcast voice in history. Every time Mason's been on the show, somebody's been like, man, that Mason, he's got a good radio voice. He was a little sick last time, too, which made it even better. He had an advantage. I had an advantage, yeah. (laughs) Somebody last night on Instagram uh, from the training program was like, I'm listening to your lecture, and you and Bo sound a lot alike, which I've never heard before. Bo Hughes. Really? Yeah, I said Bo I love Bo. I'll take that. It's a yeah. He's Bo-bos. got a great voice. He does. He does. You, yeah, and um, uh, We're going to be talking about the Ascension. And uh, JT, uh, he uses this phrase. I, tr- let me tell you something. There's nothing that I don't enjoy more than quoting JT quoting in front of JT. JT. Yeah. Because the smile that comes across <laughs> his face. The smile right here. It the smile that comes across his wrinkled, haggard face. <laughs> are, those, are, those, are those my notes that you're using? <laughs> no. <laughs> Although I did steal a considerable... Did you hear what Jay, Jen I said? Did. Okay, I'm yes. not going to acknowledge her. Because <laughs> I, can't, I can't shoot back. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's, Perfect. Yep. I waited um, a long time for this scenario. Oh, here we go. <laughs> firing across the table. So great. Uh, I've heard Heard you use the phrase about the ascension of Jesus, the forgotten act of Christ. Mm. Yeah, I think I got that somewhere. Well, I'll I'm, take it. Though. I'm attributing it to you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, why? Why? I mean, it's one of those things that we we certainly talk about the incarnation, and rightfully so. We celebrate it with Christmas. We talk about his life, his ministry, his active obedience on our behalf. 
talk about the crucifixion, uh, Good Friday, talk about Easter um, with the resurrection. But then we never really talk about the ascension and what he's doing now. Or, or when we get to it in our Bible reading plans or read it in the scriptures, yeah, he ascended, but we don't consider what that work actually contributes to our salvation, yeah. to our understanding of who he is and his to, to the person of Christ and to the work of Christ. Yeah, that's good. And I feel like a lot of times gospel, uh, the, uh, preaching through the gospel, gospels to Acts, like if somebody's telling the story, they're like, okay, so Jesus rose again. Uh, and then uh, he, he the Great Commission, because you can't miss the Great Commission mm-hmm. because you got to have that. And then we're Acts and it's Pentecost. Yeah. And uh, you're like, well, where did Jesus go? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was just like, deuces, see y'all later. <laughs> you know, it just was like, you guys got it now. But uh, but there is this huge event that happens, the ascension. So broadly, Mason, um, what are like, what is the ascension? Like when we say that word about Jesus, what are we actually talking about? And then where would you go in scripture to point somebody to this event? Yeah, so I think I could read this passage out of Acts 1. And then we can just walk through the point where Christ ascends into the heavens. I don't know if I feel no? comfortable with you reading the Bible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just so vaguely we'll refer to it. So you, yeah, like, you want to read it on the podcast? Yeah, or? we'll do okay, that. Okay, cool. Okay, this will right. be a cut scene. Um, okay. So this is Acts 1 beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and he took a cl- and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so this is the story of the ascension. Yeah. But what is actually happening here? So the resurrected Christ has been with the disciples. He's been teaching, been among them. And then he is really fulfilling the promise of going to his father, which he says when he, uh, he's talking to Mary in the garden and says, like, we've got work to do. I'm going back to my, uh, to my God and to your God, to my father and to your father. And so he's, uh, really it's a point of he's ascending up into the heavens, going back to sit at the right hand of the father and the disciples are seeing him and realizing like, okay, everything he's been talking about is coming true. And from what he's told them in John 14, like now the Holy Spirit is coming. Right. So they're going to be waiting for his word to be made true at a point past this. And uh, he's left them now for that to happen. Okay. I think one of the areas that is important for us to think about with the ascension is it's, it's, I think sometimes we think of this implicitly is that Jesus resurrects and ascends and then stops work. He sends the Holy Spirit and then stops working. And what we're trying to say in the ascension is that his work continues, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that he is the resurrected, ascended Lord, sitting at the right hand of the Father, uh, coronated now as the enthroned King, taking dominion over the, not just the world, but the cosmos, like everything that's ever been created, he now sits enthroned over and he is sending the Holy Spirit uh, in order to continue his work. Yeah. The work of the Holy Spirit is not separate from the work of the resurrected and ascended Christ. Good, yeah. it, it is the same work. Yeah. And we have an episode coming up here in a couple episodes where we're talking about the present ministry of Jesus. Uh, and we'll get to dig into a lot of that good. stuff. Uh, when, when you said coronated, what did you mean? Because we use, this is a good way for us to kind of remind <laughs> the listeners about the language that's not unique to us, right. but that we make heavy use of around the crosses and throne, resurrection and ascension as kind of a coronation. Yeah. And so, so 
can you help maybe a listener see what the distinction is? Yeah, we're talking about kingship. Uh, so one of the primary themes that the New Testament gives us to talk about Jesus's work is that he came to be enthroned as king. And we see him enthroned temporarily at the cross because God's kingdom is a cross-shaped kingdom. It's cruciform. That this, this is a different kind of king than we've ever thought of, of putting over ourselves. Mm-hmm. But God is this, cruci- uh, Jesus or God in Christ is a crucified king. Yeah. And that that kind of king is the one who's now enthroned forever in the heavens as, as king. And so his kingdom is not just a kingdom in Nazareth or in Jerusalem or uh, in Judea. His kingdom is now over every single created thing. Right. Like Philippians 2, that goes to the story of scripture that Jesus Christ came. He took on human flesh. Right. He humbled himself to the point of death. And then at the end, verses 9 and 10, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This idea of when we talk about coronation or the coronation or uh, resurrection ascension being a coronation ceremony, what we're saying is that this is the, like, it's the public celebration that Christ was enthroned and victorious on his throne of the cross. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the resurrection and ascension, that kind of event is tied in together to be the public celebration and declaration to the world uh, of Jesus Christ's victory. I'm having a mind-blowing moment over here. Can I share it? Of course mm-hmm. you can. Uh, of course, my head is still in First and Second Samuel. Sure. And how both Saul and David, we see this pattern of where they are um, proclaimed the king, but then before they actually ascend to the throne uh, in a permanent sense, they, they um, demonstrate that they are the rightful king through a miraculous deliverance of the mm. people. And I think we're seeing the same mm. pattern here exactly with the right. son of David. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, and uh, uh, which that was the next question. So oh. you're like nailing it. You're like you got. <laughs> do you like how I read the show notes before we do the episodes? <laughs> hey guys, a little the, peek behind the curtain there. But, but the problem, the problem is that you're such a consummate professional that you just got there. You just went there. Um, so I need this script because I'm uh, uh, lame. Uh, you you don't need it because you're awesome. Uh, but does we? I was going to ask: Does the ascension connect with any larger biblical theological <laughs> themes or motifs? Well, and not only does it connect, not only does it connect to First Samuel. I mean, this is the story of Genesis one and two yeah. all over again, right? That God is giving His reign and rule, and and humanity's ability to represent and image God to humans. Yeah, that this is the this is the reason humans were created, were to reign and rule and represent Him on His behalf to all of creation. Mm-hmm. It's just every single human up until this point wasn't the right king or the right queen in order to reign on His behalf. That's what we see, right, with Adam and Eve. But in Christ, God has not chosen to take rulership away from humanity. In the ascension, what we're still saying is that a human is reigning and ruling on behalf of God. Yeah. That is what kind of blows my mind. Yes. Is that Jesus of Nazareth, the man who lived, walked, died, was crucified, and resurrected, is now still reigning and ruling on behalf of God and, and on behalf of God's kingdom and will do so forever. Right. So what... Kyle, would you just read out Philippians 2? I was thinking about this in the forum that we had with Ligon Duncan. And he made a point of when Christ was on the cross that there had never been a moment where like a, like if there's anyone who's pleased with Jesus in that moment, it was the father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that there was so, like that the son is so precious to the father. And I was thinking about this coronation and thinking about John 17 where Christ says, and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And then Christ being really coronated as mm-hmm. king just the joy of the Father in the Son mm-hmm. in that yeah. moment. of a completed work of him being in his presence, having accomplished what he was set out to do and now continuing his work uh, forward. 
I was just thinking about that in the Godhead and thought, man, what a beautiful, beautiful mm. moment with them. Yeah. So I mean, go this, ahead. This biblical motif of ascent descent. Yep. But we see it though. Like mm. I think about Moses. Yep. There's like there's the picture of Moses ascending Sinai, descending. I think about mm-hmm. with David, who, the ascent to the throne and mm-hmm. the, the descent from mm-hmm. the throne, essentially. Uh, and How about Jacob's dream of the angels ascending and descending mm-hmm. yeah. on the steps it, ex- between God and man? Exactly. So it does. It shows up all throughout Scripture because one of the things that uh, one of the things that God is at pains to point out, and uh, in Ephesians four you see this because Ephesians four goes into greater detail here when it talks about um, Ephesians four eight. It says, uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This is Paul quoting Psalm 68, 18. And he goes on to say, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Mm-hmm. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul is looking at the ascension event and saying, okay, this is unique in the scope of all ascension and descension because there is a, uh, in the kind of story of scripture, there is a descension before there's an ascension and then there's another descension, right? Right. If you're not adequately confused as a listener, Jesus, like the son of God comes down, goes back up and he's coming down again. Right, mm-hmm. So he's unique in that regard. And he's also unique in the regard that when he ascends, he actually ascends back to the Father in a way that is um, different than the manner of his descent. The Son of God, Jesus, does not go back up to the Father as he was when he came. Right. Right? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Well, because of what you have just said a minute ago, mm-hmm. which is that he goes back up to the right hand of the Father with the human nature, yeah. which he did not have. Yeah. And as I said. And so like, I, I know we'll probably tease this out on a future episode too, but like that matters for us because it shows that the veil of exile or our, our uh, separation from God, humans can now live in the presence of the triune God again. Right. That's what the ascension shows us is that our un- if you are in union with Christ, the place you belong is in God's presence. Yes. Okay, Trinitarian guy, mm-hmm. help those of us who are who are you talking to? Every Christian mm. that's ever lived. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Okay. Just, Just in case sure you wondered if page. JT only trolls me on mic, I'd like you to know that he was actually trolling me visibly across the room a few minutes ago. Um, what was my question? Like oh, um, so when I hear that Jesus does not go back the same way when he ascends, I'm like, wait a minute. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do we reconcile the sameness, the immutability of God with this particular idea? The the incarnation and the and, and his work in the ascension? Yeah. Yeah, so the way theologians have typically talked about it is they would say he did not become something he wasn't. Like he didn't, uh, he didn't somehow... He didn't become less God. Yeah, that's exactly right. He, his Godness doesn't change, but he assumes something else. So it's not, uh, what's the way, uh, I'm trying to think Mike Reeves, how he says it. He says it's not subtraction. Is it, do you remember this, his quote? I think it was Mike Reeves. Yeah, that sounds right. It's, it's spacing my mind right now, but he's basically saying the immutability of God, sorry, the immutability of God is in no way changed through the incarnation, through the life of Christ. Even in him, uh, the, the Bible says that he learns and acquires knowledge, mm-hmm. that he grows, that that doesn't somehow change the essence of who God is. 
this, this is ultimately not a Trinitarian question, but a Christological question, question. Because the, the human nature uh, experiences anything that a human nature would experience like ours except, with, except sin. He never, he never sins. But his divine nature undergoes no change at all. Right. So, there's, so it would be fair to say that the Son of God, ha- well, it's not fair to say, it is what it is. <laughs> to say that the son, the son of God has always been of the same substance of the Father. That has never changed. Did not that change substance in the has never been adulterated. Right. This is what Chalcedon is saying, trying to get with the two God natures. From God, like God from God, God from God, without mixture, error, any of these things. Yeah. Like just like he is God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in his incarnation, as he assumes human flesh, he is still of the same substance yeah. of God the Father and God the Spirit. Yep. Um, and that in his death and resurrection, he is of the same substance of the Father and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in his ascension, he's of the same substance of the Father and the Spirit. But something has changed, which is that the Son of God has assumed a human nature. But For, it has, forever. Forever. And it has not diminished him or his godness at all. Yeah, so one of the things that we're trying to, I think, combat is uh, to use a second century, or I guess you could say a first century heresy, is a kind of a Gnostic understanding of God and, and of salvation, is that salvation is ultimately a spiritual experience, that we will leave our bodies behind because they're ultimately traps or somehow uh, prisons that we have to escape and that our souls go to be with God. The ascension shows us ultimately that our future inheritance is a physical inheritance in the presence of God. Yeah. And so what Jesus inherits in the ascension is what we will inherit a physical uh, uh, the physical presence of, of ourselves yeah. in God's presence yeah. and enjoying him forever yeah yeah. It's so interesting to me that we say this is the forgotten act because now as we're talking you're thinking through it like what kind of assurance does the ascension bring mm-hmm. for Christians it, it is our ground for assurance yeah yeah, so in like Hebrews 6.20 points this out. Yeah. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, mm-hmm. having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which we won't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. <laughs> I'm almost, I almost just dot, 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 like ellipses left that out. Because uh, you know, <laughs> the people are going to be like, yo, yo, what's after up? Uh, well, what's up, Melchizedek? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so the, but I love Hebrews six twenty because the image that you get is almost like um, I, I used to tell the training program students it's like uh, Jesus has gone ahead to save a seat for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like like he's gone behind the inner curtain, like Hebrews says, enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So it's like Jesus is like, hey, I'm going up there, right? Like it's going to be okay, and I'll be there with, like I'll be there waiting for you. And a prepared a place for you when you get there. That's good, right? So it's just like I love that picture of Jesus, um, and you know Sam Alberry preached an incredible sermon yes. here on the Trinity in Christian prayer years ago. It's still I think got to be one of the best sermons I've ever heard on the Trinity and ever heard on prayer. Just I, I tell everybody to watch this sermon. I like I like about once a month I send out like a scheduled tweet that's like yeah. please 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 watch this sermon or listen to this sermon. But um. Uh, he talks about this. Jesus is like a VIP going in and taking us into the places that we have no business belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But because we're there with him, we can be there. And that's part of the beauty of the ascension. Yeah. Is that like, well, because Jesus is there embodied, we can be there. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. 
If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. I'm cracking up that you tell the training program Jesus has gone to save a seat for you. Do you know why? Why? Because Kyle Worley's most famous oh my <laughs> of all time for the Village Church blog was titled, What That Empty Seat Says About You. <laughs> And it was about how saving seats is basically yeah. the most terrible act you can do during service time. Yeah, that you was, got something you want to say to Jesus? No. It was, I, I don't know if it was your most famous. It was certainly your most heavily trolled oh, gosh. blog post. Just, yeah, it got, got you a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah, Jen, people were like, I have PTSD. I oh, can't sit close oh to people. Oh my gosh. I got so many emails <laughs> from people like, I have to sit on the end of a row. And I'm like, listen, like, you do it, brother or sister. Yeah. Like, sit on the end of the row. I was talking about the... Yeah. So um, Jesus can save us seats, but Kyle, yeah, okay. no. Yep. Um, Jesus, Jesus gets special privileges uh, to save us seats. What that empty seat says about Jesus. That's your next blog post. <laughs> could we, turning it back away from my blog, Trials and Afflictions, <laughs> could we be saved apart from the Ascension? Absolutely not. I mean, it, it is... I love how confident you come out on it, it just, Yeah. yeah it, uh, what do you mean to say, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> it's fair to say. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's So it's important for... We, we kind of tease this out in theology, right? I love it when Kyle gets on these giggle fits. Yeah. Oh, Kyle is beat red oh, right yeah. now. Gosh. Maybe. Thanks, Jesus, oh, for your resurrection. Okay. If, but, you, if you would have done it, yeah. I would have... I'd be on the floor. Um, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, it is important if you've listened to our 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 podcasts on the other acts of Christ, like his incarnation, resurrection, death, and resurrection. It is one. Ultimately, the Bible is is telling in time what happens over a series of years. But ultimately, it's this one event that everything that Jesus did for our behalf is contributing an important element of our salvation and ascension. It's no different. If he if he does not ascend, we do not have assurance of being in God's presence. We don't have assurance of union with Christ. We don't have assurance of him breathing out and sending us the Holy Spirit to empower us for, for life and godliness. It it destroys. It, it, it ultimately, uh, we wouldn't have a king. Yeah. Right, his kingship is gone. So the good news of the gospel is not just that the tomb is empty, but that the throne is not empty. The throne is full. Right, the, right now the king is sitting on his throne, reigning and ruling, and we can trust that whatever uh, comes in our life, uh, we have a, a king and a high priest and a prophet who is sitting at the right hand of the Father on our behalf, in order to assure us that whatever affliction, whatever trial, whatever victory comes our way, we have a king. We have a high priest who is reigning and ruling on our behalf. 
So calling it the Forgotten Act is pretty appropriate because one of the places I think it is forgotten to be mentioned the most is in a gospel presentation. Yep, sure. Yep. Like everybody stops with the resurrection. Which they, is I'm just have... really happy if anybody actually mentions the resurrection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, no, yeah. there's no doubt. Yeah, like, if it, they make it that far yeah. is what you're saying. If, yeah. if, you, yeah. if you get the resurrection, it's like, yeah. wow, you, you <laughs> crushed well, it. And that's why I, I asked the question earlier about assurance because that is missing from a lot of gospel presentations. Like I know a primary struggle I've uh, I've personally dealt with over the years that mm. I've pastored people through has been assurance, assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation, yeah. sure. absolutely. And then what does my sanctification look like and am I kept... Mm-hmm. Like if I've been if I've been adopted, am I kept? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. knowing where the king is and who's on the throne, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a huge deal. Yeah, well, I think the early church thought it was so significant. It's in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like you think about that like, was the softball I was pitching. Well, you. Well, well, took you, th- you a few minutes. Well, you think about everything that's we not. We need to in talk the, about the Bible first. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, burn with your own burn. Um, <laughs> um, but when you think about everything that's not in the Apostles' Creed, that's what blows me away about the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Is that like. That's why it's such a genius. That's why it's so genius for understanding, or genius is the wrong word. It's such a good paradigm for understanding what the early church valued. There is so much that's not in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. That what is in the Apostles' Creed, it should be a flag to us that the early church was like, this is a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. And so you have ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's seated there, mm-hmm. right? And he's doing work from that position. I think about Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated at him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so like Paul is saying in Ephesians 1, which is, again, a, a really, Paul is giving you the whole history of the world in Ephesians 1. That's what he's doing. It's a history. It's like a historiography. It's cosmology. It's like a big picture of the whole story of the world in one chapter. And where do we find Christ at the end of Paul's words in Ephesians 1? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Mm-hmm. Ascended, yeah. right? He is there. And so it is incredibly significant. And it's also significant because we've talked about union with Christ. So I could talk about it forever. But our communion with God is a communion with God in Christ. And our communion with God, like <clears throat> because we are in Christ Jesus, um, no no one is nearer to the Father uh, outside of the Christian but Jesus. Mm-hmm. You can you like we can experience not ontological relationship, being of the same substance of the Father, but in front of us is the pursuit of the intimacy of relational oneness. That's right. That Jesus has with the Father, and it's exactly what He's praying in John seventeen. That's yep. right. And how is He going to secure that opportunity? By going right to the right hand of the Father, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you can be as close to God the Father as Jesus is, mm-hmm. not That's ontologically, right. but relationally. That's yeah. exactly right. That's incredible. It's incredible. We won't we won't get it all now, but we will have it in the new heavens and the new earth, which is unbelievable. Yeah, Garrett Dawson has written a really good work called Jesus Ascended, if anyone's interested in in reading about this more. My favorite quote from his book that gets a little bit about what you're talking about is this. He says, a human hand will grasp us as we make our way into heaven, Mm. securing our relationship with the Father. That for me, it, it, of course, it's kind of a it's a metaphorical picture of, of what's happening, right? But that Jesus is he's gone before us. He's yeah. saving mm-hmm. a seat for us. He is waiting for us. And when we get there, we will experience his embrace and the same relational intimacy that the triune God, again, not ontologically, but relationally experiences. Why, why is the Bible, why does it make pointed reference to the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father? There's actually a lot of debate about this in some circles. Hmm. But I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> 
you have any thoughts? I was just thinking about what you read. Sorry, I'm still on that quote. Yeah. I just, I'm moved by the picture of like a, of a human hand grasping us, bringing us mm-hmm. into eternity with the Father. And think of the kindness of God, mm-hmm. just of mm-hmm. his thoughtfulness to our frame and who we are and where we are mm-hmm. and his gentleness with us mm-hmm. and, uh, and the mercy of saying, yeah, I know, I know your frame. I'm going to bring you along to where mm-hmm. I want you to be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, when I first read that, it was, it is, it is shocking because it's, again, it's this, it's a dismissal of a Gnostic gospel yeah. and it's an embrace that God, uh, took on humanity in Christ for our behalf mm-hmm. in order to not just try to save us, but to secure every single part of our salvation yeah. from beginning to end. And as Jesus grabs us, as we enter into heaven by the hand, uh, we will be secure with him forever. Yeah, all the all the environments that we're in with people and we're working through things and they get so intimidated by learning concepts. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know if I could do that or I should know this by now for where I am in life. And I'm ashamed that I didn't know that. Like to hear things like that and to think through like, no, the Lord knows your frame. Mm-hmm. Like he came and just to, so to reiterate the care and the, the thoughtfulness that God has towards his creation and then towards us. Uh, it's really humbling. Mm. Um, I want to come back to what you asked, Jen, because I want to hear your thoughts on why Jesus is seated. Oh, I was just going to see what you guys had to say. <laughs> I thought that was one of your well, questions. No, no, no. Where there you... are things that I've I've heard taught on it. I right. just wondered where where you guys would land on it. Yeah, there's there's some. It, it doesn't really matter for this podcast, but different positions. Some would say he's not seated yet because he's actually going to be seated when he comes to reign and rule on mm-hmm. a physical throne. Mm-hmm. Then Hebrews makes clear mention, I right. think, of his his seat like the uh, the priest has sat down right. like mm-hmm. the and it's significant mm-hmm. because the priest it, it system the work, right? yes. it's a work is done right. that yeah. the, the atonement has been made and right. so I, that's why i think it's significant yeah. is that mm-hmm. there is no need and that's good it's good news for christians you are not in need of making a sacrifice to god other than worship yeah mm-hmm. right you you come and present a spiritual sacrifice as you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind as the holy spirit is transforming us into the image of Christ, but the offering of blood has been made and the priest has sat down because yeah. the work is done. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, um, hey, just uh, lastly, what are we into right now? Like, what, what are you into? Books, music, movies, anything that you're like, oh yeah, I'm into this. I'm reading a book. I'm reading a book called Educated by Tara Westover. Oh, I've heard heard about that. Yeah, it's been good so far. I I love memoirs. Like my rule is never write a memoir because your whole family will hate your guts, (laughs) but always, always read them. Um, So yeah, she was uh, raised in a fundamentalist Mormon family and it's pretty fascinating. Educated. Yep. By Tara Westover. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm starting to reread my favorite book from last year, and I'm going to read it with a friend of mine, uh, but it's by a guy named Klein Snodgrass, and it's called Who God Says You Are, okay. Christian Understanding of Identity. It is fantastic. Okay. Cl- Klein. Klein Snodgrass. Yep. That's that his guy. name. Are you Klein mocking his name, No, Kyle? I'm just, Who God Says You Are, Klein Snodgrass. <laughs> <laughs> he had to write that book. Listen, if you, hey, Klein, if you're a listener, he had to I say, am so I'm sorry. Not, that is a funny name. I'm not who my parents say I am by my name. I'm who God says I am. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> nice. He's like, I got to believe this. Yeah, that's right. Oh, but the book is good, Mason, it's right? It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm rereading a book that I read a long time ago and I had to read it really quickly when I first mm-hmm. read it, but I'm coming back to it. It's by uh, Craig Bartholomew, Where Mortals Dwell. Oh, that book is fantastic. Yeah, it's a Christian view of place and oh location. Yep. It's, a, it's a really good book. It's about uh, how Christians kind of, especially in our current climate, experience a lot of what, what is perceived transcendence and, and move it. Like we, we, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transience. Transience. Thank yep. you. Um, 
but how should how does the Bible talk about place yeah. and how does that relate that to, to our uh, understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives yeah probably if I was listing top, twi- top 20 most formative books on me that yeah. would be in the wow. list yeah. wow. it's an incredible book and then uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, Apologetics at the Cross yeah. by Mark Allen and Joshua Chetraw I don't go in for a lot of apologetic stuff a lot of it's not really great and the tone is bad but this is really good it's like a really good it's introductory but it also uh, is t- it talks so much about just the heart and about how we're wired and um, it's an incredible it's a, like it's a really really good book All right. I don't recommend like I would not recommend an apologetics book normally <laughs> so I'm like I, I feel saw like, that you were reading it I was like whoa but it's good <laughs> it's very good so if you're looking for something that's kind of an introduction to apologetics that's the one to go with um, well it's fun. Mason, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Always for having you. Always fun. Always fun. Thanks for adding your melodic tones. Mm, yes. Sultry voice, I think is what I call it. I think that's what you, time. yeah, that's the last time. Sultry <laughs> voice. But it's still there, man. You still got it. Thanks. You haven't lost it. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about when David sings his story. See you next time. Grace and peace. Peace.